Here to discuss all things NRL, AFL, and anything sports related. Please give a warm Aussie g'day to the footy fanatic and America's own Corey Jackson in Outside the Sheds. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Outside the Sheds, Shedheads. We continue our march towards the finals. We continue our march towards premiership, premier, flag-raising greatness. It's coming. You can feel it. As each one of these matches continue to go on in both the NRL, the AFL, uh, the Super League, whatever, whatever, you, whatever league you truthfully follow, you can tell that the games are intensifying, play is being ramped up, Players are making decisions maybe they wouldn't make at any other time during the season. And because of those reasons, we had some some major things happen uh, this last week uh, in the NRL and in the AFL that could have some lasting repercussion on these finals pushes and for possibly the champions uh, at the end of the season. So as we get ready to dive into all of this, let's jump into the 40-20. Let's talk about some of these matches that we just experienced this last week uh, and get us set up for, I, I really feel, a, an incredible uh, bouquet of weekend games we're about ready to have. So it started off with a match that I think all of us were, I don't know what I, what I, what I say, anticipating, but I think there was a lot, so much background story about the clash between the Roosters and the Seagulls at Brookie that you couldn't help but take your eyes off it, wondering how both teams were going to react to, um, you know, the play and to the the storyline that surrounded the match. And Manly fought valiantly, fought valiantly. They just didn't have enough. The Roosters went over the top of them, twenty to ten. Um, I think the thing you have to watch from this match going forward is the question and the talk that there might be a divided shed now, a locker room that might have some players holding out animosity for the seven players that, that did not play because of not being contacted or talked to about the pride jersey that the Manly wore during the round. Um, and I don't think any of us will know until we watch Manly this week um, when they take on Parramatta what they're going to look like, how they're going to play together, and if Desi kind of mended what's going on inside those sheds. But the Roosters, more importantly, get the victory, come out on top. Maybe not their best performance, but they still did enough to win. Storm 24, Warriors 12, no magic at Mount Smart this week or this this homecoming for the, for the Warriors. Um, and it saw the Storm kind of get back on track. And I think with Brandon Smith coming back this week, this could be the moment and the time with Brandon Smith coming back, with David Nafaluma from the Tigers now in the mix and in the fold, that this might be the time we start seeing that push by Melbourne to kind of try to get back into the fight to, to, to get into that top four. Eels 34, Panthers 10, a match that you'd have to say had some, some major repercussions that came out of it. Uh, I think... The number one one everyone stares at is the Nathan Cleary lifting tackle that that that's it's going to see him on the sideline for a while, and that that's probably the number one thing we're going to talk about when we go into our deeper dive of the forty twenty. But I think you can't really you can't really not pay attention to another injury on the other side of the field, and that's Mitchell Moses' broken finger. That's going to see him out uh, for at least three to four weeks to let that heal. Um, but the Eels get a major victory over over Penrith and and give them both losses that they've had this season, and and it was a and it was a pretty substantial victory, thirty four to ten. Penrith played all right, um, but Parramatta just for some reason has the hoodoo right now at this moment over the Penny Panthers, and and the Eels continue that up and down. Uh, thank God they're not on a ship because everybody would be throwing up right now for as much as they're going up and down in the water right now. But Eels get the victory. Raiders 36, Titans 24, Jamal Fogarty's homecoming back to Gold Coast, who you have to say gave up on the guy, sending him to the Raiders. But the Titans now have lost nine in a row. 
And you have to say the Raiders are a team that is setting themselves up for a real push to get into the finals, uh, into that that eight, you know, up into that eight. The question is who's going to fall off enough to allow them to get there? Because it really looks to me, if you look at eight is the Roosters, seven is the Rabbitohs. I don't see either one of those teams falling out of it. So who's going to be the team that somehow makes room for the Canberra Raiders? And the Raiders do control a little bit of their own fate, but you wonder if if the Raiders maybe waited a little too long for this push or if they really can get in. It's going to be interesting and it's going to be fun to watch. To me, the match of the round, Sharks 21, Rabbitohs 20, Nico Hines showing the golden boot that, that propels the Sharkies to a golden point victory. It was a match that had it all. Uh, again, another match that we're going to talk about in a deeper dive of the 40-20 here shortly. Tigers 32, Broncos 18. The last place Tigers, maybe not last place anymore, but at that time, the last place Tigers shocking the Broncos, uh, beating them for the fourth time in a row now. But a match that's going to have lasting implication, like a lot of these matches I've said, with the injury to Jackson Hastings, uh, a, a, an injury that I think, uh, again, another major talking point that we're going to talk about here in the in the, in the real real near near future, shedheads. But it is a blow, and it could be a blow that the Tigers really feel for the rest of the season, um, and the Broncos will feel for the rest of the season. But a great victory for the Tigers, and if you think about it, if they wouldn't have gotten, uh, how should I say that, uh, robbed at gunpoint last week. That would have been two top four victories almost for the Tigers. So, pretty impressive. Bulldogs 24, Knights 10, the high-flying dogs. Shedheads, I'm going to tell you something right now. Maybe the most fun team to watch in the competition, to me, besides the Cowboys right now, are the Canterbury Bulldogs. And this has really put Gus in a spot. Gus Gould, who makes big decisions, because you really kick Mick Potter out as the head coach of the Bulldogs after the football that they've been displaying over the last few rounds and 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 I it's been years since we've seen the dogs play with this type of fervor this type of excitement um and you know I, again something that I said that was missed for New South Wales everyone kept talking about Jake 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 for the Blues I still think the 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 the, the loss of Josh Adokar for the New South Wales Blues, may have cost them the series. You guys can you can differ with me on this. You cannot agree with me on this. But something the Fox brings to a team, I don't think you can really actually do a mathematic equation to show exactly what it is, but you know it's something. And there's a reason that Mubb and Storm went hard to try to get Joshua Adokar back for the remainder of the season. They got Nafaluma, great player too. But they know what the Fox brings. They know what he brings inside the locker room. And we're seeing that with the Bull, with the Bulldogs. And I, they're fun. They are fun to watch. And unfortunately for the Knights, they got a, both barrels, 24 to 10. Um, it, it, is, it is some fun football. And I'm really interested. And wait till you see my pick this week for their next game. And finally, to, to, to close out the round, Cowboys 34, Dragons 8. Uh, you know, the Cows are back to their best form. Scotty Drinkwater's playing some incredible footy. Um, but, you know, I will say this right now. I think this victory for the Cows over the Dragons possibly puts the season to bed for St. George. Um, and, 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 you know, you can't say anything anymore. The, the, the Dragons have tried, um, but I just don't, I've never really felt that they really were a true contender for the for one of those top eight spots. So um, great victory for the Cows. But again, the Dragons um, maybe finishing where a lot of people thought they were outside the eight. Now, let's go into this deeper dive of this 40-20 about this last weekend's matches. Um, let's put it this way. Nathan Cleary is arguably the face right now of the NRL. He might be, some people say, the best player in the NRL right now. I guess it depends if you think Habs can be the best player. They're kind of like what some people would say the quarterbacks in the NFL or college football. But Nathan Cleary is a special, special player. None of us, we can all agree on that, right? And so that is why his his lifting tackle um, 
grade three dangerous throw that he did uh, on Dylan Brown. I don't want to say it's shocking because in the game of rugby league, anything is possible. But it does catch you off guard when you see an all-star superstar like that do a move that really costs his team and costs him dearly. And now Nathan Cleary is out five rounds, uh, five matches. Uh, he will be back for finals. But it is going to be a blow. And we're going to talk about this in depth um, at the end of just this topic. But I would ne- I don't think that Nathan Cleary is a dirty player. I don't think any of you think Nathan Cleary is a dirty player. But this this throw that he did, this 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 ban that he has now received, could really, really affect Penrith going forward. I'm saying they're already without Jerome Luai. All right. Luai is out with his knee injury until the beginning of the finals, right? So now you've got your top two halves gone for the remainder of the season. All right. That's huge. That's huge. And 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 right now, Penrith sits six points clear of the Cowboys. So you would think they're in a comfortable position, comfortable spot. But I think if you look at what lies in front of them for the remainder of the season, you might want to get a little bit concerned if you're a Penrith fan. Because the remaining schedule for the Panthers is this. The Raiders, the Storm, the Rabbitohs, the Warriors, and the North Queensland Cowboys to, to finish the season. If they stumble and not win, let's say that the only real for sure win on this schedule right now is the Warriors probably. All those other teams are going to be fighting. South Sydney's going to be fighting to get in the, to stay in the top eight. The Storm are going to be fighting to stay in the top four. The Raiders are going to be fighting to get in the top eight. And the Cows might get the last chance to come over the top of Penrith at the end of the season if they play the way that they have been playing. So this is a serious situation for Penrith. I don't think anybody is really too concerned about them falling out of the top four. But they need to be concerned that they could come back to the pack. And the thing everybody will tell you about rugby league is your combinations have to be tight going into finals. And your top two halves are going to miss the last remaining part of this season, but 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 be expected to fill right back in and fire like they haven't missed any time because that's how it's going to have to be. Week one is going to be insane for Penrith to see and to make sure that they are ready to do that that last push to get to the grand final and possibly win back to back championships. But the cohesion is going to be tested. Sean O'Sullivan's going to fit in that seven jersey probably quite well. But besides that, it, it is really a toss-up of how you're going to get that halves partnering, that partnership together and entrenched for these last few weeks. Um, I, I'm going to tell you something. I would not be surprised if the last round of this premiership season this this NRL season, that we don't see the Cows and the Panthers fighting for that number one spot in a in a winner take all match. I know the NRL deep down would love to see something like that, um, and I think it's by every means possible we could be on the brink of seeing a one game take it all uh, premiership match. And I I got to tell you something, get your popcorn ready if that's the case, but. This this throw that Nathan Cleary did might have just thrown the competition up for grabs. Now, I want to really talk about the match to me of the round, uh, the Cronulla Sharks solidifying their role as a true contender in this final series that's to come. Uh, a lot of people say the buy of uh, the offseason was the little general. Adam Reynolds up for the Broncos. For me personally, I'm going to go with with my boy Ch- Chad Townsend for the Cowboys as being the, my. He's not the how should I say the sleek Ferrari uh, on the block, but to me Chad Townsend solidified North Queensland and he is my buy of the offseason. But you very much could say that Nico Hines 
is that guy. Because he has got the flash that maybe Chad Townsend doesn't have. Uh, and he is a bigger athlete compared to the little general. Not that we care about size here, but Nico Hines is a special player. And the crazy and scary thing about Nico Hines is Nico Hines has not been playing in the halves for too, too terribly long at the NRL level. I'm saying you have to remember when he was back at Melbourne, he was playing back in the fullback position and would occasionally slot into the halves. But I don't think we've seen what this guy is going to be for another two to three years. And that's scary. That's really, really scary for the rest of the competition. But Nico Hines kicking that golden point goal to win the match for Cronulla was something beyond special. Because both teams are playing stellar football during that match. So it wasn't a matter of one team really showing up and the other team really not. And I knew that it was going to be something special when you had Alex Johnston score another try, the guy's a machine, to kick off the, the kick off the festivities. That's when I was like, oh, wow. But then when, when Andrew Fafita rolled back the clock like it was 2016 and started just barnstorming and then got a try too, that's when I knew that this game was going to, it was going to be a bunch of haymakers. And these guys were just going to exchange, exchange, exchange. And it looked like Cronulla was going to, to kind of ride it out and get that victory. But I think most of us who've watched Rugby League kind of sensed that this had a golden point match to it. It had that feel. It had that feel that this thing was probably going tied into golden point. And in the 77th minute, Tavita Totola got that for us, getting the try for South Sydney, sending us to golden point. Now, a lot of times golden point is decided very early on. Team who gets the first possession, kicks the goal, kicks the field goal, we're done, let's leave. Everybody tip your weight, staff, we're out of here, right? We didn't get that with this golden point, which always adds to the intrigue of a game in golden point because every time a team misses, it gets ramped up another level, goes up another notch. And a guy that we know loves the big moments, Latrell Mitchell, and Latrell had three shots at goal, missed all three. Matty Moylan then has two shots at goal, misses all of them. And that's when I knew that you could just see from the players on the field, because after every miss and every survival by a team, these guys go up another level. Uh, everything gets heightened, tackling, because they're dead. Don't forget, these guys have been playing already 80 minutes. So it's not like they're not fatigued. But each team wants it a little bit more, right, after, the, after a miss, because they feel like they've got new life. They got, they've got new blood. And so Nico Hines finally slotting that field goal in the 86th minute, taking it upon himself, saying, Matt Moylan, you're done. I'm sealing this thing. I'm bringing this home. Um, it was something that I don't think I remember. And I think possibly as I look back onto the season so far, it might have been my game in the round just because we saw, we saw both teams playing their best footy at this time. You know, because South Sydney was a juggernaut coming in. Uh, Cronulla knew that they had to lift. They're playing without Dale Finucane. Um, it, it just, it was just special. Now, th what this victory does is it, it puts Cronulla in the number three spot right now, and it puts South Sydney in the seventh spot. So, both teams, Cronulla definitely feeling a little bit better because they're in the top four. But South Sydney knows that, that so much of their future heading into the finals is in their hands. Um, and I think... If you're a South Sydney fan, yes, David, that's you. Um, if you're a South Sydney fan, you have to feel good because, you know, Latrell got moved out of position in the game, left the fullback position to play in centers with it because of injury. Um, so, you know, Latrell will be back in the fullback position, and I think that could have been the major reason that South Sydney did not come over the top of Cronulla because... Latrell didn't touch the ball as much as a lot of people would expect him to or hope he could if you're a South Sydney fan. So um, what a match. I think when you watch a match like that, 
Um, you remember why you love the game so much. Uh, I was intrigued. I was actually on a flight. I actually had to record the match, so I got to work. It made my flight very quick. Let's just put it to you that way. It made my flight very quick. So thank you both teams for such an incredible match, and it's going to be interesting how both of these teams parlay and come out of this uh, going forward for the rest of the season. Now, let's get serious here on Outside the Sheds. Um, I usually try to keep everything pretty upbeat on this show uh, because I think we all are looking for moments to just try to get away Try to try to relax, try to get our minds off the craziness of this world at this current time. But we've got to be serious at times. And, and, and to me, this topic we're going to talk about is the most serious because it's the integrity of the game. The NRL repeatedly shoves down our throat that the most important thing for them is players' welfare and players' safety. Right, That is why they've gone over the, over the top after the, after the Hutchinson debacle. We've talked about that. But every week, we, steal, we, we seem to find something that happens the judiciary or the NRL drops the ball on, either on an assessment or on uh, a penalty that comes down. But it becomes something where you're like, what the hell are they trying to do? Right? It continues. It continues. Because the NRL this weekend had a chance to put the money where their mouth is and they dropped the ball again. Because last weekend's game between the Broncos and the Tigers match was another case in point to them not getting it right and then trying to throw a bunch of verbiage at us on Monday of why they didn't get it wrong. But Patrick Kerrigan's hip drop on Jackson Hastings wasn't just bad, okay? Didn't just look bad. It was horrible. And the reason something goes from bad to horrible is because a player's future and a player's health was put into jeopardy and into question because of a tackle. Now, everyone admits that we need to get the hip drop tackle out of the game. Okay? Because the hip drop tackle, if a lot of you aren't, I don't know, fond of NRL yet, still learning the game... It's almost like a horse collar tackle for in the NFL because all the weight is pushed back and pulled back on the player, right? The back of his legs. And in this one, Patrick Kerrigan, as Jackson Hastings is being held back up by two players, comes in, grabs him, and falls back, bringing all of his weight back. Hastings' leg crumples underneath him, and we get a fractured fibula and a high ankle sprain from this tackle. And I don't understand what what you see this moment, you see all of the all of the people that pay attention to this game say this was a horrible play. We need this out of the game. We need this out of the game. So what does the NRL have a chance to do? The NRL has a chance to to make a statement that this will not be accepted. Kerrigan to me should have got at least 6 to 8 weeks and I wouldn't have been surprised or upset if they would have given him a 12-match ban. All right? That's how big of a hit this was. That is how crucial of a moment the NRL had right there. But instead, Kerrigan receives a four-match um, four ban. Four matches. Which means he's back a week before the finals so he can play one week to kind of get up, ramped up to speed for, for Brisbane's push home towards the finals. And tell me what the trade-off here is. Tell me what the trade-off is here. Jackson Hastings, with those injuries, they're saying he's going to be out for at least four to five months. No guarantee that he's going to come back 100%. No guarantee he's going to come back and even play anywhere close to the football he's playing right now. Because of science now and the way that we know the human body, there's a, probably a strong chance that he will. But there's no guarantee. This also cost Jackson Hastings a chance to get a call-up for the world, the Rugby League World Cup at the end of the year. Those are two huge things players want to do. Represent and to play footy, right? The Tigers have looked really good the last two weeks. Should have beat, beat the Cows last weekend. Thank you again, RL. Excuse me, two weeks ago. And they did get a victory over the Broncos. But Jackson Hastings, quite arguably, has been the best player on the team. I know a lot of people say Adam Dewey has been playing some incredible footy. 
Dane Laurie's been playing incredible footy in the fullback position, but Jackson Hastings has been that stalwart that has kind of controlled the middle of the field. And really now you've got, you've got Patrick Kerrigan now who can sit back and just recharge. He can heal up. He can rest up because it's been a big middle point of the season for him. Origin and the way the Bronx are playing. I, I don't know what the NRL is doing. It, it, it frustrates me. It frustrates all fans because they don't know what they're trying to do. And, you know, you've got to set precedent because now four weeks, why would you not do that? Well, you know, what, what makes you think you shouldn't, you couldn't pull that tackle off again? And that's what you can't have going through players' minds. Players have to have that go through them right now. I can't make that tackle. I can't. I can't hurt my team like that. And that's not what was given off by the NRL with their four-game suspension. It really upsets me. It. I'm going to say it. It pisses me off because I'm tired of hearing one thing and getting something else from the NRL. I'm tired of it. And I think all of us are. So, NRL, I would tell you to do better, but I don't think you can. And that's something that we're all going to have to come, have a come-to-Jesus meeting about sooner than later. Now, besides the Jackson Hastings medical uh, injury um, that, that's going to cost him four to five months, the medical tent this last weekend from round 20 was through the roof. Um, and I'm going to go over just a list of it because another player that I think a lot of people haven't been talking about but is going to be a huge, huge omission for the Cronulla Sharks is Will Kennedy. Bubba Kennedy is out until at least the finals because of an ankle injury from another quote-unquote hip drop tackle. Fascinating, isn't it? We've got two guys with ankle injuries, Jackson Hastings, Will Kennedy, from hip drop tackles. And, well, I guess we're going to continue to let this happen. So I don't know how big the player has to be for hip drop tackle to happen, for the NRL to finally say, we will not accept this anymore. But I guess Jackson Hastings and Will Kennedy isn't enough right now. Kyle Felt, for the Cowboys, hamstring strain. One to two weeks, he'll be on the sidelines. Justin Olam tested positive for COVID, so he's out this week for the Storm. Nick Meany from that head knock last weekend uh, is out one to two weeks with a concussion for the Storm. I told you about Mitchell Moses. That broken finger is going to see him out for the Eels at least three to four weeks. Jed Cartwright for the Rabbitohs, hamstring injury. Two to three weeks on the sidelines for, for, for Jed. Lindsey Collins, this is probably the one that scares a lot of people the most. Lindsey Collins, his first match back from his head knock he received early in origin uh, game three, within eight minutes of the match, early on, suffered another concussion. Uh, and you could have you could have you could see how Jeremiah Hargraves reacted that he was concerned. And so I think it's undetermined. Everyone's saying right now he is just out for round 21. But I think that we're not going to see Lindsey Collins for a while. Chaz Viga from the Warriors. Shoulder. Looks like it's a season for him. And Chanel Harris-DeVita. We didn't talk about this last week. MCL injury. Was going to see Chanel on the bench. On the sidelines for at least three to four weeks. Which is almost going to put the end to his career as we know it right now. Since he's taking next year off. Now... The thing that kind of overrides a lot of stuff right now, we're talking about the finals push in the NRL, but is where is the grand final going to be played? Because word has been breaking out over the last 24 to 48 hours that a broken handshake promise between Peter Volandis and, and New South Wales Premier Dominic Parotit, Parodi, I'm sorry about that, I call him Parotit. But yeah, Dominic Parakeet. Now, Parodi may put the NRL grand final in Sydney at risk. And I know how the fans are. I told you I've got a lot of friends, I should say. They are considered family to me in the New South Wales area that are really excited about the grand final being back in New South Wales since it was not there last week, excuse me, last year because of COVID being up in Queensland. But in a handshake that happened back in April, uh, Prodi and Volandis agreed to help league football at a more grassroots level entry level to help those pitches those fields kind of get back up to snuff a little bit more uh, they got to invest a lot of money in the beginning 
The first one was with the Penny Panthers. It always helps to help out the premiers early on. You know, they are the, the Cadillac right now of the league. But they were supposed to do upgrades to Shark Park, Lackard Oval, and Brookvale Oval. Okay? Three very, very intricate grounds to the rugby league world, especially in Sydney. But Parity now says that there are more pressing issues and more important things on his docket than fields. And that is including flood relief because we all know about the horrible flooding that's happened in New South Wales this year. Um, a lot of people said that it feels almost like London for the amount of rain that's been coming down. Um, but right now, Volandis is now kind of, he's kind of saber-rattling. And, and the one thing about Peter Volandis, he doesn't just saber-rattle. He usually puts things to action. And he says everything is on the board right now. Everything is on the table. And that could be moving the grand final out of Sydney to take it back to Queensland, maybe taking it to Perth. I don't know. But right now, Volandis is not happy. And he wants some answers. Um, and I think, Shedheads, this is about ready to get really, really nasty. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 I don't know if any of us know where the grand final is going to be. We know that it's going to be a cracking match. But does Volandis have the testicular fortitude to really remove the game out of New South Wales and take it up, back it up to Queensland. So, going to be interesting. I am very, very, I, I'm going to be watching this one intently because I think we're about ready to see some magic and fireworks happen. So, let's get in some picks for round 21. We start off with a barn burner on Thursday night, Thursday morning, whatever you want to say, Broncos versus the Roosters. I'm going to take the Roosters. I think the Chooks are going to come out on top. And I think that loss of Patrick Kerrigan for the Broncos is going to be a key, key omission. Friday, Titans versus the Storm. I'm going to take the Storm. I think Nafaluma, we're going to see a new David Nafaluma. It's going to be the first time in a long time he's playing for something. So I think he's going to have a stellar match. Eels versus the Seagulls. I'm taking the Seagulls uh, over the Eels. I just think that Mitchell Moses is playing some great football. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Eels fans treat Jake Arthur now that he will be in the halves um, in Mitchell's absence. But I do think Manly, as long as they can get everybody on the same page, will get the victory there. Saturday, Warriors versus the Rabbitohs. I'm not talking long about that. I'm taking South Sydney. Panthers versus the Raiders. A depleted Panthers side against a Raiders side that's firing. I'm taking the Raiders over the Panthers. Dragons versus the Sharks. I think the Dragons feel all the, how should I say, fire and hot smoke out of the lungs disappearing. I'm taking the Sharkies to get the victory. And Sunday, Cowboys versus the Bulldogs. I told you this could be, to me, the most fun match of the round. I'm going with the Dogs, with the upset. But I think we're going to see some free-flowing football, and it's going to be awesome to watch. And then the final match of the round, Knights versus the Tigers. I'm going with the Tigers. We didn't even get into it uh, in the 40-20 about the upheaval that's going on with David Klemmer and O'Brien and, and the Knights again going back and forth and Klemmer being stood down and all and all and all. But I think what it adds up to is the Tigers getting the victory over the Knights. Now, as we go on to On the Mark, we talk a little AFL. I've got to admit, there were some pretty crazy matches this last round. Starting off, kicking off with the Demons and the Dockers. I picked the Dockers. I thought the Dockers back at home in Western Australia were going to show up. And the D's woke up. The Demons showing everybody that the dark side is waking up. Putting the Dockers to the sword, 85-39. to I think the rest of the, the AFL world better be a little bit concerned after that performance from the D's um, to kick off the round. Pies 88, Power 82. The cardiac, the cardiac Pies continue. Um, their, uh, their, 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 their incredible play in front of adversity and get another victory and unplug the Power's finals chances. Swans 112, Giants 39. The Bloods embarrassed the, the, the Giants in the Derby. Uh, they just, they demolished them. 
It wasn't even ever a close match. Uh, and you have to wonder what's going on with GWS. Saints 75, Hawks 63. The Saints keep their finals hope alive, but you wonder for how long. Uh, that is going to be a brutal end of the season for St. Kilda. Cats 94, Bulldogs 66. The Cats show that the superior animal to the Dogs getting the big victory at Salewood's 350th game. Uh, and I got to tell you something. Geelong looks dangerous. Crows 84, Blues 55. Um, horror night for the Blues. The injuries that came down. We're going to talk about that a little bit further down the track on On the Mark. But it's good the Crows got that victory now because of after some of the stuff that's kind of come to light since this match finished, you wonder if that's going to maybe be their last victory of the season. Suns 107, Eagles 104. Uh, the Suns shine in the end despite a, a valiant. I've got to admit, the Eagles showed some heart. I don't know why, but they did. But the Suns still get the victory. Tigers 104, Lions 97. Tigers show their pedigree, show that they're ready for the fight with an incredible comeback. One that we're going to talk about here in a few moments. But Tigers with a big, big victory over the Lions. And finally, the Bombers 114, Ruse 66. Big Jakey Stringer coming alive with five goals uh, as they continue their resurgence for Essendon. Uh, and the Ruse, well, again, the Ruse do what the Ruse do and hop to another loss. Now, we talk about heroes in games and we talk about icons. We talked about Nathan Cleary earlier, but we talk about heroes, right? Well, there's a major difference between a hero and an icon. And it's something that really lasts in history. A hero can be remembered for a week to two, but an icon is somebody that stays in the blood of that team or in the blood of the conversation from for maybe forever. But they are an icon. They're somebody everybody looks up to. And Geelong captain Joel Selwood is the latter. He is an icon of the club, and he was honored for his 350th game this last weekend. Um... And I got to tell you something, the Cats did him proud because the Cats beat the Dogs by 28 points. Um, and it wasn't easy because the Western Bulldogs were up for a fight. They kicked the first four goals of the match um, and they didn't get an invite to that party. And they really wanted to show that they were there for the fight. But I think the thing that shows you about a club that I feel is ready for the finals, a club that I think is ready because they feel that they're on borrowed time. They're not a young club, Geelong. And I think they really do have this sense that they only, they're only going to have a few more of these moments, a few more of these opportunities for them to solidify their flag to have this team remembered for what they can be remembered by. And that's being one of the, I'd say, one of the great clubs of the last 10 years in the NRL. But... In true Geelong form, this veteran team did not fold when they got behind by those four goals early on. And behind some steady play from Cameron, Hawkins, Rowan, and Stengels, two goals apiece for each one of those guys, they just slowly rode it out. They rode out that freaking early wave from, from the dogs, and they, they really wrestled it back. They really wrestled the game back into their control, um, and, and it, and it provided the ability and that, that Joel Selwood did not have to play his best match. I don't want to say he sat back and kind of took it all in, but he just wasn't needed the way that he has been needed before in the past because Geelong is stacked. They're stacked with veterans in just the right place. There was a moment in the match when Tom Hawkins was getting on his teammates. And that to me showed that, Selwood, yes, is a great captain. Selwood is a special, special player and, and will be go down and will go down as a special player in the history of Geelong. But there's so many good leaders on that team um, that seeing Hawkins do that showed why this team is who this team is. But Patrick Dangerfield, to me, was the guy that really just kind of showed that he is ready and that he's getting back into form and getting ready for the finals in this match. 
Um, two, 26 disposals and 10 contested marks shows me that Dangerfield is kind of feeling himself right now. And he didn't have the greatest match against Port Adelaide uh, in last round, you know, I guess two weeks ago. The last round was already completed, which was this match we're talking about. But he did not have a good match against Port A. And he really, really, really woke up to show that he's ready for this this finals push that the team is 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 getting ready to go to. Um it's gonna be a it's gonna be good because I, I, I did not I don't know why I didn't think Geelong was gonna be that team that we're seeing right now, because everything pointed to the fact that they could be that team, but they to me are maybe the most dangerous team going into the finals right now. Um but they're going to have some competition because I think the Pies and the Ds are going to be right there. And I think those whoever finishes in the top four, it's going to be tough for anybody else to, to unseat them. So um, great match by Geelong. Um, and the way that they pulled it together was brilliant. But the night did, let's not forget, the man of the hour belong to Joel Selwood. He became the 21st player in AFL-VFL history to reach 350 games. And he surpassed Dick Reynolds of Essendon with his 160th victory as the Cats, as the Cats captain. You know, that's, that's like I said, icon. That is stuff you just don't see. Um, often, 21 times it's happening in the history of the game. Uh, I think we're just all blessed to see that we are a part of it, no matter if you're a Geelong fan or not. Seeing history... Uh, is something that I really find uh, awesome to watch because history is what makes us as people because we have something to look back on to try to mold our lives and who we can pattern our lives after. So congratulations to Joel Selwood and Geelong for an incredible victory and a, an incredible milestone for the captain. Now, pressure is an ingredient all championship teams know how to deal with, right? I think how you deal with pressure shows you the moxie of, of, of a team, right? And they also know how to inflict pressure on other teams, right? And that's, again, a thing that, that separates just a champion from an also-ran, right? The Richmond Tigers showed that in 17, 19, and 20. They were the best in the business at doing that, Right? They took you to deep waters, they, they tired your arms off, and then you weren't able to tread water and you sank to the bottom, right? And that is what they did. That state of play that Richmond did was what made them the cream of the crop for those three flags. That's why this weekend, when we saw the yellow and black do this again, put that frantic pace on a Brisbane Lions squad that looked like they were in total control and looked like they were about ready to, how should I say, curb stomp the Tigers, we got to see that brilliance again. Because the Tigers' 104-97 victory over Brisbane, to me, could be that cornerstone that we look back and remember how the Tigers re-kick-started their finals push and got them back into the mix to try to make it to the top eight, right? A match that, to me, was incredible because a lot of people would be turning the TV off after they saw the way the Brisbane Lions jumped all over them all over the Tigers they they made it look like it wasn't going to be a game at all because the Lions jumped out to a 42 point lead at one point and not many teams had the steel to look 32 points in the eye and say all right what do we do next because a lot of teams check out. And that's when a lot of teams lose by 100. And even though that doesn't happen often, that is the beginning of it when you get down by that much. But Richmond is Richmond. Richmond is that that flag waiver. They are that premier team that some people can't stand. But to the fans of the Tigers, they've been looking for this for a while. Because the Tigers showed right then being down 542 in a match that they had to win. There was nothing, there was no tomorrow. They had to win that match to stay within striking distance of the eight. And 
for a team to, to, to just hold and to tread and to hold and to just chip away time and time and time again, it was something special. Because Richmond never took the lead until midway through the final term. When Daniel Rioli kicked maybe a match that we're going to see on a lot of Tiger Reels for a very long time, just outside of 50, uh, an incredible strike. It's a highlight moment that, that, that the yellow and black faithful will remember for a very, very long time. Tom Lynch, again, continues to try to live up to those, those lofty expectations that were put on him when he came from the Gold Coast Suns. And then Shy Bolton, a guy that I remember when he was drafted in the same draft as Sam Powell Pepper, a guy that I think a lot of people thought was going to be and had the and had the possibility to be possibly, possibly a great in Richmond football. Showed that he has that moxie and that pedigree to do that. Uh, by easily possibly being the best player on the field, I thought he was easily the best player on the field for Richmond. And then you had Noah Cumberland kicking five goals and again solidifying himself week in and week out as a key Tigers player and one that they're going to have to rely on, especially with Dustin Martin still being out, if they really are going to make the eight. Now, that was all the positives. The negatives for the Tigers, besides the victory, is there's two, there still two points out of that eighth position. The positive for them is that St. Kilda has, like I said earlier, a brutal run home, which gives the Tigers a chance. But two points is still two points, which means right now they're looking up and looking into the eight, and they've got to get there. Now, they've got a big match against Port Adelaide this coming weekend, and we all know that Port A is in trouble. They're they're not going to make the eight, and we really don't know how Port A is going to actually even show up this weekend. But Richmond can't take that 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 part of this equation into uh, the sheds. They can't even really worry that Port Adelaide's out of the running, and they need to put a statement game down because Port Adelaide always plays Richmond tough. So the Tigers, backs against the wall, have to play like that again against Richmond. But for one day, the Tiger faithful got to remember 17, 19, and 20 because we got to see that frantic pace and that pressure. And let's see if they can live up to the pressure for the rest of the season. But great match for Richmond. Now, the bad news for the West Coast Eagles continues. Again, more bad news. Again, more bad news. Because club legend Josh Kennedy will retire after Sunday's match. And it sounds like, and it comes from, from him, that it is due to a nagging knee injury that just won't go away. Um, not really that he doesn't want to play the game by any means. It's just that he just can't get right. And unfortunately, that is how it happens for a lot of athletes. And you just hate it when it's a a, a club man like Josh Kennedy, um, a, a guy that's played 271 games for the West Coast Eagles. And it's going to bring an end to a, a really incredible career. And a lot of people will always forget that, 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 that he was traded from the Blues to the West Coast Eagles for Chris Judd in 07. Um, so that shows you the type of player he is because Juddy is still a, 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 a legend with both clubs. He, had two, he was a two-time Coleman medal winner, three-time All-Australian player, and won one flag with the Eagles in 2018 in that incredible match between them and Collingwood. So another sad chapter comes to an end this weekend. Um... But what an incredible career for Josh Kennedy. It's just too bad that it's been one of those seasons for the Eagles that all, I guess, the fan base and a lot of people would love to forget. But congratulations on an incredible career. Now, injuries is something that we all know is something that all sports deal with. But it's really sad when injuries might be the reason a team does not live up to the goals that they look like they had a chance to live up to. And and unfortunately, in the Adelaide Crows match, uh, the Carlton Blues may have paid a heavy toll in that match besides the loss. 
because in their injury department, they really took one on the chin. Matt Kennedy, literally on the chin, fractured jaw. Uh, Corey Durden, shoulder. Nick Newman, lacerated knee, done till finals. And they're still without George Hewitt because of his back. So Carlton, you really have to wonder. I think they've given themselves enough of a cushion in the eight where I don't think they will fall out of it. But they really have put themselves in a tough, tough position because even if they do make the eight, what will they have to go up against those top four sides and the side that are going to have to face early on in the finals? So Carlton, uh, you somehow find a way to do it tough. Uh, for the last few years. Now, I don't like to end on negative notes. And I was really kind of going back and forth, shedheads, of how I was going to address this next this next story. But I think we have to look when there's a problem. We have to address it when there's a problem. And we have to, to, to state it and talk about it when it happens. So, AFL legend Eddie Betts has come out with a, with a book, with his autobiography, right? And... There's been a scathing part in the book that has come back up about the 2018 Mankind Project preseason camp that the Adelaide Crows um, subjected him and some veterans in um, that really was some off-the-wall type of stuff. Uh, Blindfolding the guys for almost like 24 hours as they were driving. Thank God they did feed them. Um making them do really kind of unique mind games and challenges uh, in this camp that was out in the bush. But during that time, it sounds like there was some, um, how do we even say this, some really negative stereotypical stuff that was done um, that was offensive to some players. Um, And Eddie Betts has gone into detail about how this has affected him and how it affected him and pretty much led for his leaving Adelaide to go back to Carlton to finish his career. But the sad part about this is it sounds like the Adelaide Crows told a lot of the players not to talk about this preseason camp, said to keep this on the DL, not bring it up, not to discuss it. And to me, that makes me almost sick to my stomach to hear it, right? Because it looks like a lot of these players came back from this moment, came back from that, and were really kind of troubled about it. Eddie Betts talks about snapping at his daughter and having to talk to his wife about some of the things were brought up during this this immersion program, this preseason immersion. But the thing that I think really troubles me about the story is that they never really received an apology for a lot of the stuff that happened. Until recently, because recently Adelaide, Adelaide CEO Tim Silvers has apologized for the events that happened for this preseason um, excursion, I guess you could say. But the AFL has kind of stayed kind of mum and quiet about it until now, because of pressure, because of people wondering what the heck the AF, you know, the AFL is doing, they're now saying they're going to reopen the case to look at look a little bit deeper at that preseason camp for the Adelaide Crows. But I, I, I think it's a bigger thing here. I think for some reason the AFL has run into this problem with the way indigenous players, aboriginal players, have been treated, um, how things have been you know, uh, swept under the rug, and... And I don't think you can do that anymore. I think in today's day and age, you just can't do that. And I think that there's a real come to Jesus that the AFL is going to have to really address with this. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see, besides apologies, what the next step is to try to heal. And it seems now every year they're trying to heal about something. You know, you know, you got the Tex Walker situation. Again, another problem with the Adelaide Crows. So this is a story that I think is just starting to get legs. And I, I, that's why I said earlier that could have been Adelaide's last victory you see this season because I think this team is about ready to go through a lot of turmoil. And I think the AFL has to continue to look at itself in the mirror 
about this. But again, I've got to say something about Eddie Betts. Uh, hats off to Eddie Betts because he continues to stand up, to speak his mind, and to address situations that to me are problems that need to be looked at and need to be really delved into to figure out how to maybe make change. And that's where we're at. There needs to be change made and there needs to be acceptance that things have transpired and need to be addressed. So uh, Eddie Betts, congratulations again about being a leader, not just on the field, but off of it and having a heart and a will that a lot of people have no idea how to have. So uh, a story that we're going to have to watch and a story that we're going to have to pay attention to. Now, I just noticed right now that we don't have our picks in for this week coming up for the round. So uh, we are not going to do AFL picks this week, um, which is something we don't have happen on Outside the Sheds often. But I just looked down, I'm like, we've got no picks. So we're going to go right into the guns for this round. And we're going to start off with my number one gun, which is Jacob Karaz. Three tries, 259 running meters, three line breaks, seven tackle breaks, six tackles made, one interception. We've got my number two gun, Jeremiah Nanai. Two tackles, 149 running meters, three line breaks, one line break assist, one try assist, three tackle breaks, 26 tackles made. Jeremiah Nanai is just a man amongst boys right now. And the problem is he's still a boy. So what is he going to be back like in two to three years? And I'm just wondering what type of contract he's about ready to sign in about a year. And then finally, Shy Bolton, like I said, lifting his game to really unprecedented levels for Richmond. Two goals, five behinds, 24 disposals, 20 kicks, four handballs, seven marks, two tackles, four clearances, and here's the crazy thing. 711 meters gain. Incredible match by Shy Bolton. Now, about those finals, about those picks for this coming week, I'll put those on my Instagram page, uh, the teams that I'm picking in those rounds uh, for this coming round, uh, so you guys can have that, shitheads. But let's go outside the bubble, and whew, I'm trying to stay positive. I really am, shitheads. I'm really trying to stay positive. But the NFL continues to do kind of what the NRL does, but it's more seedy, it's more dirty, it makes you want to take a shower more, and it doesn't get any better, right? I'm not even going to talk about the Deshaun Watson situation because the NFL said they were never going to uh, self-police themselves. They brought out, brought in an independent uh, you know, woman that was going to make decisions on uh, key cases, and now after the six-game ban came down from Deshaun Watson, they've appealed it, and now they're going to try to inflict their own punishment, which defeats the purpose of everything they've done and, again, makes the NFL look like the, cutter, the other jackass organization it usually is. But let's continue with that jackass aspect of the NFL. And let's talk about ownership. These moguls that own these franchises that really don't answer to anybody or to anything. We're not going to talk about Daniel Snyder because we all wish he would get pushed offshore in a boat and we would never have to see him again. But unfortunately, there's no boat that wants to have him. Um, but it's this new owner that to me is just shady is the owner of the Miami Dolphins. I'm not even going to mention his name here on this show. We'll just say the owner of the Miami Dolphins. Because to me, since he's suspended, there's no reason to even say his name. But he's been suspended until October for a tampering scandal with Tom Brady, allegedly, right? But it's allegedly enough that they've, they've suspended him until October. But the real smack in the face is that this man probably owns as much money or more money than God himself. And the NFL fines him $1.5 million. $1.5 million. That is kind of like fining uh, 
the owner of a bar a hundred bucks because of having too many people in it um, and and breaking quote unquote the uh, the ordinance for having too many people in a bar when he's when he's serving ten to twenty dollar drinks. Okay, you see what I'm saying? One point five million dollars is nothing for this guy. But then when they say that they they did not find any quote unquote problems with tampering with game fixing, match fixing, playing coaches to throw games, oh, they couldn't find anything there. Even though Brian Flores gave a breakdown in writing of everything that this owner did. And, and Shedheads, if you don't understand why they did this, is because gambling has become so important in the NFL they can't take the chance of you who do put money on this sport to think that there is any type of shadiness going on behind the scenes. That is why they didn't find anything on this tampering scheme and why it's always been shut down. Excuse me, shut down when owners are allegedly called out for tampering and throwing matches. Because if that gets down, if that comes up, and you put down, let's say, 100 of your hard-earned dollars on a match that you found out was tampered with, with people paying off coaches to throw matches, what are you going to do next? That's right. You're probably going to get a lawyer to sue the NFL, sue the team in question for tampering. And guess what? You'd have every reason to do that. And that is why the NFL cannot quote-unquote say anything like that happen because they're thinking about the total end game and that's money in their pocket and the thing that they keep banking on week in and week out gambling and gambling and uh, with um, fantasy football those two things they cannot take the chance of losing that dollar it's it's disgusting it's shady it's dirty but it's the nfl And it makes me more and more think that I might not even turn on an NFL game this year. Because I just, every time I watch it, I think about the way they talk about minority quarterbacks, the way that they are upset about players taking a knee, but then they're still run by guys who don't believe. It's disgusting. And I would tell the NFL to do better, but I think I have a better chance of the NRL actually banning the hip drop than I do the NFL changing itself. So... NFL, I'm done with you this week. You can move it along. Finally, I want to end positive. The Swinging Friars, the San Diego Padres, have made the biggest splash in the at the trade deadline in the in Major League Baseball by acquiring Juan Soto and winning the Juan Soto sweepstakes and bringing in the Nationals' big slugger to San Diego and the Padres. Now, hopefully Juan Soto coming there makes it that the Padres don't wear those city uniforms again for the rest of the season because my eyes still hurt from looking at those. But this is huge because now you have a lineup when Tatis Jr. comes back that you're going to have Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, and Juan Soto probably batting Three, four, and five, or two, three, and four in your lineup. Dangerous. And again, this is the reason the Padres have been slowly rising and now are breaching as possibly a World Series favorite for making this big splash. Um, I was blown away. I did not think of any team that he was going to. We're so used to hearing that somehow the Yankees got a guy or the Red Sox got a guy or the Dodgers got a guy. I was not expecting it to be the Friars. So congratulations to the Padres for making Major League Baseball somewhat not the same old thing year after year after year where certain teams keep buying championships. So I'm hoping the Friars actually pull it home this year. Um, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna be exciting. So uh, I can't wait to see what this team is like when Fernando Tatis comes back. Uh, excuse me, Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back. But uh, congratulations on the Friars for obtaining Juan Soto. And with that, Shedheads, we bring to a close this episode of Outside the Sheds. Uh, I cannot 
stressed you enough how exciting this is going to be. And I will be putting, again, like I said, my uh, AFL picks on Twitter. Be looking for those uh, before the round starts. But until next week, Shedhead, stay out of trouble. Don't get caught. This has been Corey Jackson, your Shed Adamus, and outside the sheds. Until next week, I will see ya. And that was another fantastic episode of Outside the Sheds with Corey Jackson talking all things NRL, AFL, and all things sports. So please remember to smash the subscribe button and share this with your family and friends and show them what Australian sport is all about.